grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this 17th Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, beginning at verse 4. This section of scripture describes the Christ. That's the New Testament word. The Old Testament word is Messiah. The Lord God gave me a tongue like the learned, an instructed tongue, so I know how to sustain the weary with a word. He wakes me up morning by morning. He wakes up my ears so that I listen like the learned. The Lord God opened my ear, and I myself was not rebellious. I did not turn my back. I submitted my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and from spit. The Lord God will help me, so I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have made my face hard like flint, I know that I will not be put to shame. The one who will acquaint me is near. Who can accuse me? Let us take our stand. Who can pass judgment on me? Let him approach me. Look, the Lord God will help me. Who then can declare me guilty? Look, all of them will wear out like a garment. A moth will consume them. Who among you worships the Lord and listens to the voice of his servant? Anyone who walks in darkness and who has no bright light, let him trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord, and let him lean on his God. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of James, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. My brothers, have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For example, suppose a man enters your worship assembly wearing gold rings and fine clothing, and a poor man also enters wearing filthy clothing. If you look with favor on the man wearing fine clothing and say, sit here in this good place, but you tell the poor man, stand over there, or sit down here at my feet, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil opinions? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? However, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing a sin since you are convicted by this law as transgressors. In fact, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but has no works? Such faith cannot save him, can it? If a brother or sister needs clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you tells them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but does not give him what their body needs, what good is it? So also such faith, if it is not alone, if it is alone and has no works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning at the 27th verse. Jesus went away with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But who do you say I am, he asked them. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is the gospel reading from Mark chapter 8. We're going to consider the words of verses 27 through 33. Jesus went away with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? He asked them. Peter answered, you are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind, or have on your mind, you do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life. Since I came back from vacation a little over a month ago, I've been preaching, uh, well, you could say a series on following the, the readings chosen for the Gospel of Mark. And if you notice that there's been one phrase each and every Sunday without exception. And that phrase is, Jesus told them not to tell anyone. It always seems strange to hear Jesus talk like that. You're the Savior of the world. Why wouldn't you want everyone to hear what you're doing and what you're saying? But don't tell anyone? It seems so out of character for Jesus. In fact, in the original language, that word for warning is actually a word for severe warning. It was a command. It was a demand of his. So why? 
why, after he would perform a miracle, that he would say, don't tell anyone? Well, there's all kinds of speculations. But you'll notice that Sunday after Sunday, I've been leaning towards the fact that Jesus wanted to spend more time with his disciples. And because the crowds were so large, and this is getting towards the end of his ministry, Jesus really needed that one-on-one -on -one time with his disciples. He really needed to prepare them, not only for his suffering and death and resurrection, but also his ascension back into heaven. I base this on the fact that when Jesus was in Caesarea, it, the crowds became so large and the work became so involved that Jesus and his disciples didn't even take time to eat. So Jesus grabbed his disciples privately, put them on a boat, and crossed the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And of course, later that day, we have the feeding of the 5,000 families. So Jesus spending time with his disciples is now spending time with them in a very remote place, up by the villages of Caesarea Philippi, which is not the same as Caesarea. Caesarea was actually just north and right on the border of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was using that as, you could say, uh, headquarters from which he would go out and minister to that northern area of Galilee. We find him now way up north, northeast of Caesarea and the Sea of Galilee to another town called Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea was actually established by King Herod. And King Herod built this city in honor of Caesar Augustus, who issued that decree that, that a census should be taken, and that's why Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem, and Jesus born in Bethlehem. Caesarea Philippi was actually built by King Herod's son, Philip. He was, he's, his title in the scriptures is he's Philip the Tetrarch. And Philip is, he built that city in honor of Caesar Tiberius. The difference between the two cities is Caesar, or Caesarea, was actually a large city. Caesarea Philippi was just a small village, or there were and definitely small villages around it. So Jesus is definitely in a very remote area. And it was during this time that Jesus would ask his disciples a very important question. Who do people say I am? Notice the answer that they gave. John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. So the comments here is not that they just see him as a teacher, but they see him as a prophet. They see him as a man of God, one who's speaking God's word to God's people. But also notice that they're also saying that he could be John the Baptist, or he could be Elijah. Well, Elijah was a great reformer, but he was already dead. John the Baptist was also already dead. He was that forerunner. He, he prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. He was the one who told even his disciples when Jesus passed by, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who baptized Jesus. 
but at this time he is dead. You see, Philip the Tetrarch had another brother who was King Herod. And that King Herod is the one who actually took his brother's wife, Herodias, and it was Herodias that has been pestering uh, King Herod to end John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was, was speaking openly against this marriage of taking your brother's wife as your own. And it was Herodias that got King Herod when he was in a drunken stupor to remove John the Baptist's head from his body. So, at the very least, they're seeing Jesus as someone great. There is no, there's nothing bad about anything that they're saying about Jesus. His reputation clearly intact with these words. But to describe him as he's John the Baptist or he's Elijah, they're describing him as a reincarnated prophet, which certainly hints at some superstition. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Who do you say I am? Peter, obviously speaking for the group, without hesitation answers, You are the Christ. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you may be the Christ. He doesn't say, coulda, woulda, shoulda be the Christ. He says, you are the Christ. This is a fact. This is an absolute truth. This is a confession of faith. You are the Christ. Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, Messiah. Both words mean anointed one. And there were only three offices that were anointed with oil in the Old Testament. That was prophet, priest, and king. Saying that you are this anointed one was pointing to the fact that you are the one that the Old Testament spoke about to be the savior of the world. In fact, if you were anointed by oil, it meant two things. It meant that you were chosen by God himself, and it also meant that the Holy Spirit would give you the gifts to carry out this important work. And we know that Jesus was officially anointed to be the Christ at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And the Father from the clouds said, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. This is the one I have chosen. But the problem was, is at the time, many were very confused about that word. Over time, they didn't look at it in just a spiritual, religious sense. They started seeing, they started thinking of the word in, in a more of a political sense. So the coming Christ was supposed to be one in many people's minds, and even in the disciples' minds. That the Messiah was supposed to free them from Roman tyranny, or at the very least, he would be a bread king who would come and, and feed them so they would not have to work anymore. It would be like a heaven here on earth. And they were yearning for that kind of Messiah to come. But that's not the kind of Messiah Jesus is. Jesus came to be a king who would fight against our worst enemies and defeat our worst enemies, being sin, death, and the devil. He would be a prophet who would fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies. He would be the Messiah who would become a high priest. 
And as high priest, he would offer the ultimate sacrifice for sins once and for all. Wouldn't have to keep offering them over and over, but his sacrifice would not be uh, an animal. It would be his very self, his perfect life. And he would offer it on the cross for the sins of the world. And not only paying for those sins, but he won for us the hope of everlasting life in heaven. This is the Messiah. And when Peter said, you are the Christ, this is an absolute truth because these words can never be spoken for someone else. You are the Christ. By the way, these words is really the key to unlocking the mysteries of Scripture itself. These are the words that we always take to heart when it comes to even interpreting the Holy Word. Oh, there is all kinds of opinions out there that, that you know, you interpret the Word based on what you think it says or, or how God inspires you. And then, of course, God inspired this person to read it this way and understand it that way. And this person, you know, understands it because he was inspired by God to see it another way. And even though the two teachings are completely different and perhaps even opposite, many say it's okay because God inspired that one and God inspired this one over here. And this is why we have so many different interpretations out there. It's because God has been inspiring people in different ways. But that's not what God's word says. There is only one way to interpret the word. And we interpret it by taking God at his word and always with the understanding and with a believing heart that Jesus is the Christ. Another way to put it, we understand every passage in the light of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And what he has done, he describes to his disciples. And so we'll let Jesus do the speaking. His purpose is this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law. Be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly, this is not a parable. This is not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's speaking plainly. This is what's going to happen. Now these, are, these words here are not the first time Jesus will speak them. In fact, almost verbatim, maybe a few changes, because later on he'll, he'll, he'll make mention that he will be killed by the Gentiles, really pointing to the kind of death he will die. And that will be by the Romans and death on the cross. But this statement, he will again repeat over and over, and it has three parts. One is he will suffer at the hands of, of the chief priests, the elders, and the experts in the law. These are the guys that make up that, that 71 people and leaders in the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. And then he will be killed. And after three days, he will rise again. He will defeat death. And you would think, that's the greatest news. Wouldn't you want to 
grab on to that one. But the disciples, that's not the part they hear. In fact, even at the resurrection of Jesus, these are the words they do not recall. They recall the suffering. They recall the death. But they miss the resurrection. So it is not surprising when you focus on the first two to hear Peter now taking Jesus aside and rebuking him. But Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He's not calling him Satan because he himself is that evil angel who's an enemy of God. He calls him Satan because your thinking is what Satan would want. You're supporting Satan by rebuking me from facing suffering and death and resurrection because this is for the sins of the world. This is what the Savior came to do. You don't have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of man. When I hear these words, uh, immediately I think of the time that during my vicar, the vicar year, which is our on-the-job training year, we, we go to a church and, and, and actually serve there preaching and ministering and teaching. And I remember my supervising pastor, and we called him a bishop, one day pulled me aside privately. And this must have been heavy on his mind. But, this, but what he's about to tell me has stuck to me to this very day. He pulled me aside and said, people will get all bent out of shape over things like abortion. And, and yes, it's wrong. And people will get all bent out of shape on human sexuality. And it's really easy for Christians to point their fingers at others and say, see, look at how bad they are, and almost to the point of praising ourselves. But he said what oftentimes people miss out on, and he asked me to take this to heart, is the fact that the one thing that is one of the biggest lies, and I would go so far as to say the biggest lie of Satan, that has people convinced it's godly, but it's not godly at all, is the teaching of work righteousness. The teaching of, I can save myself. I can pay for my sins. I, by my own good works, can earn God's favor. And therefore, I can win eternal salvation. And we hear this kind of teaching even to this very day. You will hear talk about, oh, we have a free will, which means I have good, and, and, and I work on that good, and I can please God. Instead of what the Bible says, that we are by nature sinful human beings. That's why we need a Savior. It is only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we are a new creation in Christ. Or I've even heard people say that, well, okay, we got Jesus as our Savior, but he got us started, and we just need to finish the work. No, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, that perfect life, without sin, and offered it, offered it as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, this sacrifice is once and for all. Do not rob Jesus of his glory, the very Son of God himself, who took on human flesh to be our Savior. 
He has done it all. He has paid for it all. And to him be glory forever and ever. My dear friends, set your mind on the things of God. And the things of God is looking to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? You could say he was asking for an opinion poll. It would have been like a survey. And, but did Jesus really ask for an opinion poll or, or was he simply coming conducting a survey because he wanted to see what people thought about the Savior because he wanted to be that kind of Savior and therefore he could grow his church. No. He's asking for their opinion because he wants to make sure they understand the truth. And the truth is Jesus is the Christ. This is the thing of God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran, and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.